for the uh, reading of the scripture. Revelation 14, 6 to 12. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image, or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. These are the words of God. Please be seated. Thanks, Malcolm. I saw a baby the other day. It was suck to be a baby. We often think that it would be nice to have everything done for you. But that's exactly what would be awful to be a baby. You have no choice because you have everything done for you. If your parents go out, you've got to go with them. And you've got to wear what they put on you. If you go to the bathroom, you do it without you know, going to the bathroom. And you sit in it until they change you. Now, babies, of course, have no concept of choice. But as you grow up, you have more and more choice. Mom still buys your clothes, but you choose to wear this shirt or that shirt. You choose water or milk or juice with your meal. You choose to obey gladly or grumpily. Um, then you choose your friends. You choose what band instrument to play. You eventually choose what classes you will take. As an adult, you get, live almost entirely by the choices you make. Some choices don't really matter, okay? unless you have Doritos every day. What you have for supper is a choice with not much real significance. Choosing what to wear, this hobby or that hobby, whether to go in or out, this night or that night, is a choice with really no significance. But some choices matter a lot more. What kind of vehicle do I want? What university should I attend or do I want to work instead? And of course, some choices are pretty huge, impacting you for life, impacting those around you for life. What career should I choose? Should I marry him or not? Should I ask her or not? Some of you have chosen to leave the country of your birth, travel across the ocean to a new country, Pretty big choices. 
Then there's choices that have to do with character, generous or lazy, to risk or be afraid. Oh, generous or protective, not miserly, but protective. To risk or be afraid, to be hardworking or lazy. And they are choices. And life at its end is the sum total of the choices that you have made over the years. Revelation 14 is about choices, about the choice. And the ramifications of that choice is the choice of whom we are to worship. And it's the most important choice that you will ever make. John sees in verse 6 an angel proclaiming the gospel to everyone, every nation, tribe, people, and language. And the angel says with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Uh, Both the first four trumpets and the first four bowls are judgment of the earth, the sea, the springs of water and the heavenlies. But what of the judgment? I thought that the angel was proclaiming the gospel. And the very word gospel means good news. What does judgment have to do with good news? Knee replacement surgery suddenly becomes good news if your knees are shot. A good cure, a cure for cancer is good news if you got cancer. Real coffee is good news if what you've been drinking is instant decaf. (laughs) Salvation is not good news, gospel, until and unless we know that there is something to be saved from. Judgment. There is judgment. Judgment for all our sin. And so, the gospel. That there is a way to avoid that judgment is very good news. And judgment is not just to be thought of as God punishing. Judgment is the setting right of things. It's dealing with evil so that the right can flourish without hindrance. It's a judge making a judgment to separate the guilty from the innocent. And that is very good news. It's the kind of judgment that the psalmist had in mind when he wrote, from the heavens you uttered judgment. The earth feared and was still when God arose to establish judgment to save all the humble of the earth. The earth has been seriously derailed by sin. Judgment is setting it right. And again, that is good news. That is gospel Now, what does it take to end up on the right side of judgment? Worship him who made heaven and earth, sea and springs of water. It's a worship issue. It's not an am I good enough issue. How many of you are good enough to stand tall and proud before a God whose standards is perfection? It's not a religion issue. Religion is just another way of trying to be good enough. 
It's a worship issue. So, whom do you worship? Or in our day and age, it's probably more accurate to say, what do you worship? This is a choice that you have to make. In fact, some of you have to make that choice today. Will you worship God who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water and galaxy and Adam and you? Or will you worship any one of the countless things who vie for the throne of our hearts? Is marriage the thing that's most important? Or promotion? Or having that nest egg? Getting good grades? Turning the page? Because you have trouble with it. When you fold the corners of pages, don't fold them two at a time. Is being well-liked by people your God? Being known as a hard worker who gets things done. All these things are good things. Any one of these things is good to pursue, but to say that they're worth giving your life to, and that's what worship is, not only makes for an empty, unfulfilled life, because when is it good enough? but is to end up on the wrong side of judgment. And to worship God is inherently right because of who he is. And when he sets things right, he will remove all those things that other people worship. And that's good news. After the angel who proclaims this gospel, another angel follows him and cried, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. This is the first mention in Revelation of uh, the city of Babylon. And we'll talk more about that in a couple weeks when we look at Revelation 17 and 18. Then a third angel comes saying with a loud voice. Angels in Revelation almost always speak with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receive the mark on his forehead, uh, forehead or his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. I should note at this point, um, that the gospel, the angel who proclaims the gospel, is played out in chapter 15 and 16. The fallen is Babylon pronouncement is played out in 17 and 18. And this pronouncement by the third angels of the judgment is played out in chapters 19 and 20. So these three angels set the stage for what follows. But if anyone worship the beast... If you don't worship God, then you worship the beast. And so you worship the dragon, Satan, as we saw last week. Who likes the Calgary Flames? <laughs> Who's your second favorite team? Ah. I thought you were going to say 
Your second favorite team is anyone who plays the Edmonton Oilers. I've heard that joke many times. I used to live in Edmonton, and I had season tickets for the Oilers. And one day, I left them sitting on the dashboard of my car. And someone broke the window and reached in and left another set of tickets. <laughs> Satan loves himself, but he also loves anything that turns us away from God. Anything that doesn't place God on the center. He's all over that. But this pronouncement by the third angel is pretty harsh. They're pretty hard words. He will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. Wow. God's judgment against evil is portrayed several times in the Old Testament as being a cup that evildoers drink. Isaiah 51, 17. Wake yourself. Wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering. Or Jeremiah 25. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make made all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. Then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Drink, be drunk, and vomit. Fall and rise no more because of the sword that I am sending among you. The cup of God's wrath. God's wrath. Consider the God who made all things, who has lordship over the galaxies that are so far away we haven't seen them yet. Consider a God whose power is absolute. Right? We can't. Now consider his wrath. His wrath not just against man's ignoring him, but rebelling against him. His wrath against our sin and the world's evil that slaps him in the face and says, take that. The wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. What is the full strength of God's wrath? It's terrifying. It's agonizing. It's unbearable. Maybe, instead of thinking God's, the punishment of God against sin is too severe, maybe we underestimate the severity of our sin. It's pretty awful, isn't it? The things that one must do to deserve to drink the wine of God's wrath. Oppression of the helpless. Human trafficking that buys and sells people. Murder, harboring anger in your heart, ignoring the beam of sin in your own life, being all critical about the speck of sin in someone else's life. Envy, lying, impure thoughts, 
reacting in anger. All these things are slaps in the face of God. And I have done and I continue to do things that make me deserving of drinking the wine of God's wrath down to its very dregs. And so have you. Ephesians 2, we were once by nature objects of wrath. But there was a man, the only man who ever lived who didn't deserve to drink God's wrath. But he bore it for us. A substitution for us. He didn't want to. Sometimes we, we make it seems like the crucifixion of Christ was easy for him. It wasn't. I think he alone knew what the wrath of God unleashed would look like. He looked, looked into the depths of God's wrath and recoiled. The Bible says he began to feel sorrowful, overwhelmingly so, to the point of death. And then he prayed, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But then he says, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. But then he was troubled again, and he prayed again. And a third time, the eternal Son of God pleaded, Father, please, if there be any other way. But then he bowed again to the will of his Father, and he went on to experience the most awful death, physically, psychologically. He drank the cup down to its dregs. Why on earth would God the Father give his son to such an experience? Some of you have a son and a daughter. I have both. Would you do it? Could it be because God loved you enough to want to save you? Could his love be stronger than his wrath? And his wrath will be poured out. Every slap in God's face will be repaid. Before God saves us for himself, he's got to save us from himself. And justice demands that God punishes sin. And God is nothing if he is not just. The question is whether you will bear that wrath yourself Eternally, because infinite sin requires infinite payment, or you throw yourself on the mercy of God and say, Yes, Jesus died for my sins. And I'm not talking to the congregation as a whole, I'm not talking philosophically about the justice of God's wrath against mankind. I'm talking to you. I'm asking you, whom or what do you worship? Because it's a worship issue. We either worship God, confess our sins, throw ourselves on his mercy, or we worship the beast, which is to say we worship anything but God. To go Away from God is to move toward the beast. The beast doesn't care what 
which direction we go as long as it's the way from God. So God or something else. And we still find ourselves sinning. That's not the point. If it was a question of sinfulness, we'd all be lost. We are stronger and weaker in the worship every day. But how do we consider our sin? As sin, slapping the face of God? Do we face away from God? Or, as I heard it put one time, is God the great distraction in our lives? So that we can't help but being drawn toward him. Does Jesus die for our sin? Or do we ignore him? That's your choice. That's what you're being faced with this morning. It's the most important choice that you will ever make. And you don't have forever to make it. Because the time for your judgment is coming, where God will separate the worshipers of himself and the worshipers of the beast. Verses 14 to 16. Jesus, and we know that it's Jesus because he is seated on the white cloud, is one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head. Jesus reaps the harvest and the gospel, the primary metaphor for bringing in the righteous, the worshipers of God. And again, I want to be clear that the righteous are not inherently better people, but they have claimed the death of Christ and are clothed in his righteousness. But in verse 17 to 20, there is another harvest of sorts, not called a harvest, but a gathering of grapes. Prophet Joel in the Old Testament said, Put in your sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. In Revelation 14, of course. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for a 1,600 stater, 300 kilometers. Again, in the Old Testament, Isaiah 63. Who is this who comes from Edom in crimson garments from Basra? He was splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like him, his who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. Vengeance, redemption, same day. Judgment, salvation, the same event. God will harvest his sermons or gather the grapes for his wrath. So where will you be?
It's your choice. It's one or the other. There's no middle ground. You're either alive or you're dead. You're not sort of dead. You're not mostly dead. In a race, it doesn't matter if you run nine-tenths of it in record time. You've either completed the race or you haven't. You can't be kind of pregnant. You worship God or you don't. Choose. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge, we affirm in our heads that to worship you is to be on the right side of judgment, is to have life that is full and abundant. But in our hearts, some of us do not worship you because we worship other things. And in this season of Lent, it's a time for us to reflect on, to become aware of what we do worship. And if it's you, great. If it's anything else, anything, we need to be broken and set free from that. And we need you to give her the the grace, the strength to choose. If there's anyone in this room this morning that hasn't made the choice to serve you, to worship you, to follow you, don't let them leave here without making that choice convict them, burn in their hearts, make it unbearable unless they come to you. And that includes me. Everyone in this room, make it clear to us whom we worship. And in Jesus' name, help us.